When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey now, welcome to another episode of Make Defense Great Again. My name is Chris Fasser, a.k.a. Coach Fass. Thank you so much for joining me. Today I'm flying solo and we're kicking off the in-season Q&A webinar format. Had some listeners submit some questions. Going to do my best to answer them. If you have any questions for an opponent coming up, just go to my Twitter, at Coach Vass. You can find on the link tree in my bio. There's a form to submit the questions every week. We record on Thursday nights, and I'm usually joined by a guest. The only catch is you do need to submit them a week ahead of time. The pods will hopefully come out on Saturday mornings. I, I don't make any promises anymore because I feel like every time I do make a promise on a release time or date, uh, something happens. It's, a, it's like a bad luck charm. So look out for them on Saturday mornings. And if you don't submit a question, hopefully you can get some ideas, get you thinking for maybe problems you have to solve. But don't be uh, don't be shy. Please reach out if you have any questions. I'd love to hear from you. It's one of my favorite things that I get to do. And we're all about helping out fellow coaches. Before we get going today, I got a few housekeeping notes. Housekeeping. No, thank you. If you're listening to this show and you're like, man, I, I wish I could submit a question or man, I wish I could, I could get a video version of this, get more in depth. I have good news for you. Join the Patreon, patreon.com slash coach silver tier. We have webinars every Sunday night, eight to 10 PM Eastern. You submit your questions for the opponent you're playing that week. Unlike this show, and we'll help you game plan, throw around some ideas. We also have a good community of coaches who will often weigh in. In addition to the live questions and the live Q&A, there's years of these sessions that you can refer back to where I've answered some questions in the past. If you if you need ideas on any offense, wing tee, flex bone, split back veer, air raid, fly sweep, all the wings, double wings, single wing, wing tee, it's all there. Check it out. Again, that's patreon.com slash coach fast. And the film library is back. Sick of waiting for the offseason to roll around to study your favorite college teams? Well, I got you covered. Every year we throw a poll up for the patrons to vote on what they want to see. We start off with that group, and then if a team starts popping, we'll add them into the library. And if a team starts sucking, <laughs> we'll take them out. It is huddle. There is space. Limitations. But this year's teams, let's start with defense. We have Alabama, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Iowa, LSU, Michigan, NC State, Ohio State, Oregon, Texas, and Wisconsin. And for the offense, 
Alabama, Clemson, Florida State, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Oregon, Tennessee, Texas, UCLA, USC. And again, we'll add stuff as the season goes on. I also throw some NFL film in there. Shout out to friend of the pod, Mike McDonald. We'll definitely have some Ravens film. So check it out. That's the orange tier. If you want both, there's a gold tier and then higher. If you're interested in one-on-one consultations, those usually take place in the offseason. But check it out, patreon.com slash coachfast. Also, one more shameless self-plug. I have a course on CoachTube from Saturday to Thursday, opponent breakdown, game planning, daily practice planning, and building a call sheet. Yes, that's the longest course title ever. You can go to my link tree. Same thing, Twitter, at CoachVass, or you can go to linktree.com slash CoachVass. It's there. The promotion is you put $10 in, underdogfantasy.com. Use code VASS for all first-time users. Underdog matches your deposit up to $100, and you get the course for free. Again, that's underdogfantasy.com. Use code VASS. If you just want to get the course, you can just go ahead and go to Linktree. It's there. If you are going to take advantage of the Underdog promo, do not buy the course on CoachTube. Go to Underdog Fantasy, sign up, use code VASS. I get an email 24 hours or so after the purchase, and then I will send you a code to redeem the course. But if you want to check it out first, you can go to that Linktree link. While you're on the CoachTube page, I have some other stuff. Developing a third down package for pressures, coverages. I have a course on defending the wing T and a three-part tight front defense base package run fits with RPO responsibilities and a pressure package as well as a course on defending RPOs out of one, two, and three high safeties with both odd and even fronts. All right, let's get into the show. Let's get into it, man. The first question comes from Jesse German, head coach at Green Mountain High School in Texas. His Twitter handle is at FBCoachGerman. And also, feel free to reach out to these guys. If you have a better answer than I do, or if you want to shoot some ideas back and forth to these guys, I'm sure they won't mind. I would love to get a conversation going on these topics. His question is, when preparing for an offense that goes ultra fast, what are some tricks to be able to use multiple calls, fronts, and coverages? What front coverage would be your favorite to stop an air raid offense? They run inside zone, dart, GT, and air raid, bubble, key one. I think you meant to say and air raid passing game. Bubble, key screen to one, and stick off all the run game. Thanks, Vass. Hope you're well. Uh, appreciate it, uh, Jesse, for reaching out. So I think you can do a couple things when you're playing a really fast offense. Uh, there's some some different tactics, and it also depends on your base defense and how you play things. I think some of the generic answers are, you know, set your front to the field or put your personnel to the field or play them left-right if the team you're playing is left-right. You know, if you're playing a team like an, like an OG air raid team where they play, you know, left outside, left inside, right inside, right outside, I mean, there's there's maybe some merit to just playing left and right and matching them up. You can also... You know, set your front, especially if they're not, I mean, it shows that they, they, they do run the ball, obviously, but if they're more of a drop-back pass team, where your shades are don't really matter. So there's stuff like that. Uh, you, can, you can dead call uh, your coverages, just playing stuff where there's not a lot of checks. Um, and, and, you know, I, I use that term dead call. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but, you know, playing something like uh, 
you know, palms across the board with maybe a poach or something or solo check and three by one or keeping it simple. I think that's one way that you can do it. And I think that's the most obvious way. Some other tricks I've used over the years. Now, we were a big TCU sentence structure team. I know it only took me uh, like seven minutes to, to bring up TCU, but we were a, a very sentence structure team. And one thing that we did is that we had families of calls, and I got this from my boss, uh, Brandon Lechtenberg. So when we were at Millsaps together, our Omaha, I know, um, cliche, but our Omaha call was like our base check for the week. So whatever our base coverage was going to be, we would wrap the front up in, in as well. You know, so if we were playing uh, an air raid team, it might be like quarter, quarter, half. I like to play quarter, quarter, half off the back. So quarters to the uh, the side of the back and halves away. If you're playing the old school air raid stuff, and I'll, and I'll get to that because I know you asked, you know, what are, what are your favorite coverage? And I'll get to that in a second. I'll address that. But Omaha would be our base check. You can name it your mascot, which that might be confusing because I don't know. I, I I think about you know if you're we were the Padres at Sarah, and if somebody's of the loud, uh, loudspeaker going go Padres or something like that, then that's kind of can be an issue. But name it something, and then that never changes. That's your base call of the week. We did something, and I kind of expanded on it a little bit at Sarah, which was we had a um, a call at, at Millsaps. We we retained the same name. It was called Major. And what major check was our, it was our five jam of the week. So we were bringing the nickel usually maybe switch to a backer to three by one. And we were playing what we called five jam, which was basically uh, man match two deep zone. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but we're not getting into all that. I just wanted to talk about the call and then our front would change every week. So if we just wanted to set it to the field and say to the boundary, or we'd set it off the back or off the tight end, whatever it was, but major was the five jam call of the week. For a while, our in our in our coverage system, colors were man, and uh, black was cover zero, and so we used um, Oakland or Raider. We, no, we didn't use Raider because Raider for us was our double wing. So it was Oakland. So whatever the cover one or cover zero, it was it was mainly cover one blitzes, five six man pressures of the week. We would do that. So we would have code words that. The calls would change every week, but they were the same concept. Now, the problem is the offense can catch on, although they may not know exactly what's happening. But uh, you could do it like that. Um, if you're running a sentence-based defense like I did, you can uh, obviously code word your calls. You know, So one thing that I started getting to before I left my coaching was we still had all of our sentence structure, but if we wanted to cut down some of the calls – you know, something that we we ran all the time, like the five jam, for for instance, we ended up, when I got away from the one word system where it changed every week, if I called major, our kids knew it was, you know, I was zone blitz four wide stinger five jam. We may tweak it every week a little bit, but it was mostly like that was the code word for that call and it didn't change very often. And if it did, it was subtle. So, you know, okay, major was... Field G Army, you know, so we're three technique to field, slam the boundary, bringing the nickel, you know, and this week we would say, okay, so it was kind of like a mix of both worlds, but the 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 meat of the call never changed where, you know, in like our Oakland check, for for example, it could be, you know, double, double A gap, the old double barrel blitz, 
bringing six playing zero one week it, it could be a, a single blitz you know sim with uh, an end dropping cover one and it could be all different things but this is sort of you're calling one one call it's going to largely remain the same and you code where your defense and and the teams that kind of made that famous you know a lot of people have done this but i think alabama was the the most popular one and then georgia took it on where some of their long 21 personnel defenses like they did this for Gus Malzahn and I, I, we talked about this many times in this podcast but the kids learned base strong 3 out of check dot mod that was like their base 3 4 bring the sand play 3 deep zone behind it and that's what they learned it as and they had to know what that meant but then by week 2 it was bass it was bass check and then it never changed and then you could maybe like tag a word to it so you could say like bass check or, you know, bass play it or whatever. So they knew both. But you could call it, you could call it either way. I like that approach because the code word tells them to remember the sentence. And again, this is going to be something you're going to run a lot. This is not something that you would do um, if you're going to do it a few, just a few times. Um, so you want to make sure that uh, there's not a lot of moving parts there. But I think that's a good way to do it as well. Or you could just have, you know, one word your defense. Like if you're, you know, Jim Leonard's done that really well and you put things in families. A lot of the simulated pressures that Dave Aranda ran, it's the same kind of thing. It's really really the same thing except he would code word it and then call the coverage. Now, he never crossed streams, so to speak. So there was never like a, all right, nickel blitz from the field in three deep was going to be... I don't know, far of three, but then nickel blitz from the field and two deep was far of two. It was just almost like a reminder, if that makes sense, not a modifier. Whereas some of the guys, it's just a one recall, like an offense. And then you could put things in family. The The most uh, famous one is, you know, NFL teams. This was uh, the old Justin Wilcox system when he was at Wisconsin, which was cover three were NFL teams. Quarterbacks were two deep uh, sims. And then man was, I think, one high was basketball teams and two man pressures were basketball players, something like that. I mean, there's there's a lot of things. Some people use baseball teams. So you could do things like that. Now, if you're just doing this for one offense, that's more of a holistic thing. So that might be something that, you know, if you're going to see this a lot, maybe it's worth building your defense like that. But you don't, you don't have to do that. If this is something that's kind of out of the ordinary for you, then you probably just want a quick answer. So I would code word a few things, um, you know, find the four or five biggest calls that you're going to use. Keep in mind, though, I mean, and, and I could be wrong here, so take this with a grain of salt. Well, well, don't take it with a grain of salt, but make sure you you check before you do this. Um, you know, everybody talks about, you know, especially like five years ago when going fast was like the biggest thing. You think teams have slowed down a little bit? I'm not saying a lot, but just a little bit. Some teams. You know, there was a point where tempo was everything. It didn't matter if the play sucked. It was just getting it done. And, you know, there's some merit to that. But I think teams have slowed down. But almost every team I've ever seen slows down on third and long. So if you're getting into some more of your creative third down pressures, you don't need to worry about code wording those because you have time to get them in. You know, so I would have a couple zone coverages if you want to have like an eight drop. You know, maybe a blitz or two that you really want to hang your hat on. And if you don't already code word those, code word them. 
And then that's a way. And then and then let me let me say this as well as building some of that stuff that I said the first time around. So, for example, we like we used to like to bring uh, double, you know, double backer blitz. We, we called that bullets. Um, and sometimes it would be like tight. You know, we set the the the, the defense to the tight end. And then if there was no tight end, it was to the back, you know, or whatever, and it would get more complicated. But if we were playing um, a team that was an air raid team, for example, you know, especially, and this is where we get a little bit more um, specific here, is if they're an air raid team and they're putting five out and they're running big on big, you know, nose is going to go to the low shade. It doesn't matter where your shades are or if they're not running the ball a lot, you know, especially if it's second and long, they just tried to run and you stuffed them. You're not really worried about that as much. You could simplify your one word calls. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone, so to speak. Another great cliche. But you're saying, okay, we're going to bring, let's say, a, a cross dog sim, right? You're not worried about where the three techniques going because you know no matter where your your front is, or maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you're saying, hey, let's just set it to the field because of X, Y, Z. So you build that in with the code words. So let's say, let's kind of take a two-pronged approach. Let's say you have a call that, you know, has some has some filth to it, as I like to say, like a bunch of checks and some and some little things here and there to really take advantage of the offense, but you know, it's not really gonna matter as much versus these guys. So let's simplify the call and code word it. So I think that's a good way to go. As far as coverages, I kind of talked about it already. My favorite drop seven coverage. Now again. I don't know some of the, and I know that the air raid's kind of taken some offshoots, but my favorite air raid coverage, if we're talking about the how mummy Mike Leach version of this, you know, the Mike Leach version from like five, 10 years ago, I liked playing outside leverage quarters on the slot to the back and then two deep man match zone away from the back. And the reason was, you know, and I've, I've told the story before, so apologies if you've heard it before. We played a team that was running air raid concepts and for the most part putting the back to the field. So we just played, you know, quarter, quarter, half. And again, when I'm saying halves, to quickly describe this, I'm saying man match. So the corner is going to play outside leverage, but he's going to carry one all the way down the field unless two comes out. The overhang is going to carry two all the way down the field unless one comes inside. Uh, or, well, he's going to take two vertical and in. Uh, if he goes out, then he'll also look to one, but it's not a curl and sit and look. Now, if you're getting mesh, you're getting a lot of mesh, you may want to zone drop that and take your chances because this concept, it, it, one shallow is okay, two, you start getting a little hairy. So maybe depending on down and distance, you tweak it a little bit where you just play that guy in the curl. You play it more of a true zone concept, but now you got to sink your corner out. So it almost turns into almost like a palms where your corner is going to play uh, high to low rather than a 2D zone we are going to play low to high. The reason I like that instead of just playing quarters across the board is if three is fast, you have to take something inside. You have to something to take back. You know, the, what, what is everything in quick game on the backside of the air raid is double slant or, you know, a one-step slant with a hitch on the outside or something like that. You know, so if your mic is matching three fast, you know, somewhere, you got to have something, somebody ready to take that back inside. 
But anyway, I was starting to say, um, you know, we played a team, they would put their backs to the field and do that. But then you started seeing the teams that were okay with putting the back to the boundary. And if you just play it quarter, quarter, half, you have the the same problem. Now you have a corner trying to take a, a, a swing. I never really liked putting corners on swings unless it was the backside of a, a one uh, by one formation. We could just tell the corner, hey, the back is you playing him like a receiver. But now you're going to have a, a corner maybe coming off on a back swinging. And I know it's in the boundary, but you get the whole shot. And now if you're playing outside leverage quarter, two goes inside. There's a giant void. And, you know, in, in, in cover two, unless you're pushing it and pushing the cut and doing all that stuff, you know, your mic's going to be straight back or your backer's going to be straight back and that back's flaring. Again, this is two by two. And you're just not really matching it. So I liked, we started doing to counter that was playing, like I said, quarters to the back, halves away. And we even got to the point where if it was an area team, they really weren't going to run the ball very much. And it was 10 personnel. We would play, uh, this is another like special. We call it, it was called strong blue. The call was blue five mix. And this was a TCU call. So blue was outside leverage quarters. Five was two deep zone with the man match principle on or off. Uh, one other thing, if you're playing an area team likes to run, we call it shelf. We're getting the five yard under on the outside and a 10 yard dig on the inside. We would uh, also be able to, this is an aside, tag it where the corner would stay on the in route and the overhang would stay on the dig. So you didn't have the corner just sitting out there uh, doing nothing. And now it's, you know, it's really two over two instead of three over two. Anyway, uh, back to what we were talking about. We would play strong blue, which would take the will linebacker and actually play him outside leverage of two into the boundary and take our chance there because we didn't want to get outflanked. So we, we did a little bit of that. That was my favorite two-by-two two call. And then three-by-one, you know, depends on how good your backside corner is, if, if he can handle it, which even if he can, you don't want to leave the guy by himself the whole time. But you can play, uh, you know, just a quarters coverage with poach on the backside. Also, you got to be mindful of the matchup on the back. Uh, you know, if they got an amazing back and, and your backer's not good, you don't want him to be one-on-one -on -one all, the, all the time either. And then we like to play special, stubby, mini, whatever you want to call it. And then we would play what we called solid on the backside, which is safety's read and runner pass. But instead of playing like a Megan Cohn where you're going to double the X or look frontside based on the release of the X, we read the quarterback, and I know some teams that used to run that mega cone concept are starting to get to that, but we would do that. Another thing that we like to do, if we didn't have the matchup we liked on the nickel, and this is something I've, I've been toying with more recently, is we called it, uh, I called it steel or special steel. I, I don't remember I, if I even gave it a name, but basically what it meant was, you see this in the NFL uh, teams do this versus the Chiefs when they had Tyreek. When they had Tyreek and Kelsey as the two or the three, where those are your main dudes. What happens is when the ball snapped, it's basically special, where the nickel can take two vertical. But then what ends up happening is if it's not a run, the coverage pushes, and then it becomes quarters late into the down. So if you do this, and I, you might say, why don't you just play quarters? It's because... You know, if you're playing a team that does RPOs, which I know isn't a huge air raid thing, but if they do run the ball, basically if it's run action, it's special. But if it's drop back pass, it can turn into quarters late. And what I mean by that is the nickel can basically play like outside 
quarters, and then that buys time. You align your safety to the field instead of inside of three, outside of three. So if you're getting a lot of over routes and things, basically what happens is you pass three back to the weak safety, and then you end up taking two. So it almost turns into like a bracket where you're bracketing two with the nickel and the deep field safety, and then you're bracketing three with the backside safety. Instead of an in-out bracket, it's a short deep bracket. So your backer to the trips will take him if he goes short. If he goes vertical, the weak safety has him. And then if he goes out, obviously the nickel would come off. And that's where it would turn into both coverages basically turn into the same thing. Nickel's going to take whatever to the flat. And then the safety's going to take three, which it ends up being just the same thing. And you can do that if if you're seeing an air raid team in there and they are flipping their guys. You can even do it on hash. Like, you know, let's say uh, on one hash, they like to, you know, the two best guys are two and three. But then on another hash, because they're playing left and right, then it's not. You could call it by hash. Anyway, it's a long explanation. Those are uh, Those are kind of some of my favorite calls. And then if you have the stomach for it, uh, Bama, I know you're a, a Patreon guy. Uh, Bama did a lot of really great drop eight stuff uh, against Mississippi State when Coach Leach was there. Rest in peace. I actually did a video. I can't remember when. It was either this past year or the year before. Right, I think it was last year in 22. I broke down their games from 21 and 20 against Leach. It might be 22 and 21. I don't remember. But I go into all the different eight drop stuff. So if you like that, I like some of that stuff. They had a cover three call. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but they had a three deep call where it the the insert would go to the back. So you wouldn't get that overload. Because like I said, when you get two deep zone, the hard part is or anything we're not matching a fast three with a, a down player is it puts stress on someone. And so I like the idea of hey, we're gonna play three buzz. And we're going to buzz down to the side of the back. But again, I don't remember all the calls off the top of my head. Check out the Patreon and uh, look through on the Patreon website. I did a whole thing on it. I think it was like a two-hour webinar. And I watched. I think I watched the whole game and went through it. I don't know. But uh, it's there. That stuff's great. And the other thing I really liked was just uh, drop eight quarters, 440. You play your underneath guys almost like it's cover three. Um, where you're playing outside leverage on the twos, but you have an extra guy inside. And that allows you to take away some of the inside stuff without having to play inside leverage with one of your down guys. And then you could insert, you know, insert the guy away from the back or, you know, maybe not even do the insert stuff. I, I actually scratch the insert idea, just drop eight, because if you insert that guy, then you have the same problem. You know, you get slants on the backside of the swing and you're uh, set up for the same issue. So, yeah. So, those are my answers. And that was a little bit of a long one, but uh, hopefully there's some good stuff in there. I'm excited to introduce Coach Vast Defense, a comprehensive out-of-the-box defensive system with everything you need to coordinate a top-tier defense coming in early 2025. The system is a one-stop shop and comes with a complete, robust defensive scheme with tools to get into any structure, including even, odd, mint-tight, bare, stack, three high, and more. It comes with an NFL-level playbook with run fits and route matches, narrated install videos with a schedule for implementation, and a library of answers for every offense you will see, including the spread 11 personnel offense du jour, the air raid, the Bryles offense, option schemes including the flex bone, 
the wing tee, three back, and much more. It also comes with a drill and game film library, live in-season game planning sessions, templates to help you organize practice, opponent breakdown, and tools to make you a better play caller. Whether you're new to coordinating or a grizzled vet looking for new ideas, this system will have something for everyone. If you want to see all the details of the system, visit coachfastdefense.com and make sure to sign up for the mailing list to get updates and invitations to webinars to have your say in the system's creation so all of your coaching needs are met. Again, go to coachfastdefense.com, check out the details, and sign up for the mailing list. This past season, coaches across the country used CoachPad to be more efficient with their scout cards for prep on the weekends and on the practice field with their scout team. Whether you're using a computer program to create your scout cards or drawing them by hand, the CoachPad is for you. Some of the features coaches enjoyed the most this past season was never printing paper or stuffing a binder, the scout team being able to see their cards clearly, even in the bright sun, and using the CoachPad on game day to sync diagrams from the press box to the sideline. This offseason, get yours at thecoachpad.com and get your program ready for next season. Again, that is thecoachpad.com. This next question comes from Gianmarco Tambori. I hope I said that right. From West Caldwell High School in Lenore, North Carolina. His Twitter handle's at GMT underscore 90. He's the D-line coach. His question, and it's detailed, so guys, follow along with me here. Our opponent is traditionally a flexbone option team, but lately have started running more unbalanced sets. One of their top formations this season so far is ace unbalanced. Just traditional flex bone look, but with a four-man surface to one side, QB under center, two wings, no receiver. The top play is belly strong, but they've also shown veer weak and midline weak. We are 3-3 stack defense. I thought about lining up in our traditional wing T adjustment, which is basically mugging our linebacker on the wing, slide the front, and bumping the whole front one man over. Guard is knock, for those of you who don't know. Uh, it's commonly referred to knock as new offensive center, but I think we are weak on the backside against belly or veer. What would you do? Thanks. Now, when I first saw this question, I saw 30 stack and I went, oh, shit, I'm flying solo this week. I don't know if I can pull this off, but I pulled out a pen and I started drawing and messing around. And the good news is when you knock your front, you're basically turning into an even front. Now, one thing I do want to say about knocking fronts for anybody that's tried knocking their front, sliding it over one man versus a four-man surface. One of the best tips I can teach you, and, and anything I tell you on this podcast and the other hundred I've done and everything else, one of the best coaching points that I've learned the hard way is if you're knocking your front, do not do conversions. What do I mean by that? If your nose tackle, if you're a 30 stack and he's used to playing a zero, I I strongly urge you, and this is just my opinion, but... I urge you not to say, well, you're normally a zero, but now because we're knocking, you're a two. Okay, four technique strong. Well, you're not a four technique anymore. You're a six technique because we are sliding in the front, et cetera, et cetera. The best thing you can do for the least amount of communication screw-ups is to tell the nose, you are a zero, the guard is the center. So you're keeping the exact same shades that you normally do. All you're saying is the guard is the center. So there's no conversions, and I think that would minimize the amount of communication errors and uh, possible issues. Now, you included most of the important details, but there's one thing that's left out that I just used by uh, deducing from the context clues. So you said, 
The formation is a sun balanced traditional flex bone look, but with a four man surface to one side. Guard, tackle, tackle, tight end. Now, I was a little confused because traditional flex bone wouldn't have two tight ends. But because you said there were two wings and no receivers, I'm assuming it's two tight ends. So I'm assuming, let's think about this. Close your eyes or take out your pen. We're going to say to the defensive right, you're going to have a wing, or I would call a slot if there's no tight end or no three-man surface, but it doesn't matter. Let's just say it's a wing. Wing, tight end, guard, center, and then guard, tackle, tackle, tight end, wing, one back. Otherwise, if if it's just regular flex bone, there would either need to be a receiver somewhere or there would just be a, a, a one-man surface. It would just, or one-man surface week, it would just be guard, center, and then the rest of it. So I'm going to operate under the assumption that it is two-man surface to one side, four-man to the other with a wing on each side, one back. I'm guessing the fullback. With that in mind, I love your idea. And then because you're a 30-stack team, you are used to being able to slant, I'm guessing, slant and plug. So let's take this with the front. Let's start with the front. So, and again, I said I was a little nervous at first because it is a 30-stack question, but it turns into an even front question. And I feel comfortable fixing the stack for the most part, but when you start getting into unbalanced and not just any unbalanced, but specialty offenses, I, I was a little nervous, but again, it slides into over. So if it was me and I was operating with the conditions that you've given me, uh, I, this would be my answer. So I am going to slide the front. Like you said, knock it. So I mentioned about not, you know, converting shades for the players, but for this conversation, I will. So what's going to end up happening is your weak end, who's usually is a four, is going to be a two weak. Your nose is going to be a two strong. Your end is going to be a six strong. Okay. And then I love the idea of walking up the Sam. Now, I know you said put him head up on the wing. I, if it was me, and again, I don't run the stack. I've run the stack against some 10 personnel stuff, but I've never run it versus tight end sets or anything. I would put that player in a nine technique and we would play, we call stack and press, which is basically it's under front and sand play cocked in, or you can play square at a 45. If you're going to cock inside, read the tip of the, the, we called it eyes. Uh, it's old Patrick Walsh thing, eyes on the Nike. So the shoulder shoulders down, I come across and I spill the first thing I see. Now the spur on that side. And normally I don't enjoy doing this because an even front world that Sam would be, you know, our four by four overhang. And, you know, we still have two backers, but for the purpose of this, because it's option and there's going to be a lot of motion, I would put your spur to the strong side or your safety, your four by four safety. I would play him four by four off the wing. And I would just tell him, well, I don't know if you would tell him this because he's probably not used to do it, but I, I would treat it like cracker place. So if that wing is down, I set the edge. Now I'm a big spill guy. However, one of the great parts about having a nine technique or an 11 technique, whatever you would call the outside sort of the tight end, I know it doesn't necessarily match up with a nine because a nine technique would uh, technically be the unbalanced tackle. But the guy outside the tight end, 
The great thing about that is you can spill with that guy, but then your spur doesn't have to spill. Now, I'm also going to say this caveat right here. If I'm correct, and this is a 22, well, I guess it would be a be a 32 personnel, right? Because you'd have two tight ends uh, and then three backs, no receivers. I would sub, and I would find my best run fitter, and I would play him in a C, a normal C7. I know it's the fourth guy, but inside shoulder of the tight end, he's going to be your immediate whatever gap you want to call inside the tight end. If you're not going to sub, that'd be the corner. Now, I know you might say, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like that. If you put him deep enough, the tight end's not going to try and block him. And then you just teach him how to gap exchange all week. He lines up in that in that C7 alignment or whatever you want to call it. It'd be actually, I guess it would be the D7 alignment. And he's going to read it. If the if the tight end's out on the, on the spur, he's going to fill inside. If he goes down, because he's a corner, because he's seven yards off, it's not like they're going to take the tight end to the corner. They're going to have him blocked down for like belly. He blocks down on the mic. The spur will spill. And now the corner or the extra DB that's in the game, he can now play the gap between the tight end and the wing. The wing is going to have to block down on the spur. You know, they could send him to the corner, but it doesn't matter because if that tight end blocks down, the spur is going to come across. And if it's belly, he should be the one taking out the pulling guard. And I'm guessing you're saying belly strong. I'm guessing like belly G, like, uh, you know, Air Force or whatever. Guard's going to pull. Now, they're going to have a real hard time doing that if you're playing that head up two, that tackles, you know, your nose can really get into that guard and that tackle's going to have to down block. Now, your end that's head up on the unbalanced tackle, he's going to play the C-gap. And so you should wash everything down, and then the corner or the extra DB that's playing that gap between the tight end and the uh, the unbalanced tackle in the tight end, he can just run around. And that should that should play it there. And then the rest of your stack. Now I don't know how you teach your backers or anything, but I would stack my guys. So the mic would be in a twenty. Maybe you put him in a thirty. You know, if it was me, I would probably put the the will backer. And a 10 inside the guard, and then I'd move the mic to a 30 or a 40i because I'm a G defensive guy. But if you're a stack guy, they're used to being stacked, so let them stack. So you get a three-man surface to their four-man surface. You walk up your spur. You have two backers. Keep them balanced. I wouldn't slide the backers because that's how you stay solid to the, the weak side. So your backer, let's just say your backers are in 20s. Let's, let's keep it as the same as you would in the stack. And then the key is that extra DB or that corner if you're not going to sub. Now, if you're telling me they're going to get in 31 personnel and the the receiver that's usually the split-out guy, he's acting as the second tight end. He's, he's still not a great blocker. So I'm not too worried about him veering down inside and blocking one of those backers or whatever to the weak side. That's kind of uh, going off the little beaten, uh, going off the path of the beaten path, what we're talking about on the strong side. But that extra DB plays that that D gap with the the spur playing the E gap or whatever you want to call it, and then uh, I'm sorry, I've been saying the spur. Uh, your your backer, your sand backer on the line of scrimmage. Um, he's going to be the guy. You know, you're basically going to gap exchange between the extra DB, 
if you don't feel comfortable with that, you could always take your spur, your four by four guy, and move him in to play the gap inside the the unbalanced tight end or to the unbalanced side. And then you could put your corner at four by four. And then you could say, hey, play this like cracker plays. Um, but whatever you do, it would be depending on personnel. You know, if you guys used to play in four by four, play him at the four by four spot. And then if it's pass, I'd kind of man that up because that that wing, he can only go really one place. He can arc. And so your spur that's four by four, he takes the uh he takes the arc, your extra DB that's in there and that D seven alignment or whatever you want to call it, he's got the tight end. And um I would play, you know, if you want to play cover three, you can, but I would invert that because you I don't know. We our corners were never used to playing four by four, so but really it's X is on a chalkboard. Um I would play the free safety right down the middle of the formation. And what I would do, if it was me, I would actually play robber coverage. I'd play man to the unbalanced side. And then I would play robber coverage with the free safety lined up over the ball, but reading the two-man surface tight end in case they try some BS where they, you know, reach and then run the wing and the tight end on an unbalanced pass weak. Uh, on the weak side, let's go over there. Again, your end that you've slid over, he's in a two. You're well stacked behind him. I would put my weak spur as a five technique. Now, I know you might be saying, well, you know, our guy's not used to doing that. But again, if that's a tight end receiver, he just shoves the guy down. If it's Veer, you teach him how to slingshot down and tackle the dive. I like that a lot better than putting that guy outside the wing and in the corner inside. So I would put the the weak spur. And again, if it's 32 personnel, you can sub this out. You can play this as a whole package. Okay. I would play him on that tackle. And then uh, the corner, I'd play, you know, four by four, maybe even a little wider uh, to the two-man side. He's got the wing. And then once those guys motion, it can change. So, for example, if the wing, you know, that's that's the cover downs. If they snap the ball, uh, no motion. Because they can create four verts and, like, spray, you know, spread it out, spread the releases out. If not, you know, I would have the free safety key the ball, perif the 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 wing to the two-man side. And as soon as he goes in motions, the corner now has the tight end, the unbalanced tight end or receiver. You can either you can exchange it where and it depends on what they do. You know, I'd have to see a hit chart. What do they do with motion, with no motion? That may change some things. Your free safety thing can snap his eyes to the tight end. And then you can let that extra DB that's inside the tackle, he could either free him up or have him on the wing. I wouldn't really want to do that if I'm lined up inside the tight end. I don't know if I'd want him to cover the wing. Um, you could also move that corner instead of playing him in that D7 alignment. You can actually move him outside wider. But I'd want that guy to be the immediate, uh, immediate D-gap player. So um, I don't know if I would do that. Again, this is all in theory. You have to go out and do this with your own kids. But so... Let's recap this now because I feel like I confused some things with some of the different words and terms. I may have mixed it up. So let's start. Defensive left, you're going to have the unbalanced side. So let's go from right to left. Your weak spurs and a five technique on the line of scrimmage. Your corner is outside him at four by four. Your normal weak end is in a two technique because you've knocked your front. Your nose is head up now going, uh, I'm sorry, your will stacked behind him in a 20. Your nose is in a two technique strong. 
Your mic is in a 20 strong stacked right behind him. Your normal four technique in is in a six technique. Your Sam, not your spur. Your Sam is in a, and it would be whatever, an outside the tight end technique. So if you were keeping normal convention, we 11 technique or whatever you want to call it. I would have the extra DB or corner if you don't want to sub. I would play him in a D7 alignment. And like I said, gap exchange that. So if the tight end's out, he fills inside. But he won't have an immediate blocker, so you don't have to worry about it. He doesn't have to fight a wing or a, a pulling guard or anything like that. And then put your spur, your strong spur in a 4x4, four four, and then put your free safety over the ball. If you line up like this and you're doing old-school counting, the offense, and I should, probably should have let off with this, the offense, if you split it down the middle, the center, the quarterback, and the fullback, that counts as one-and-a-half men. So to the two-man side, you have one-and-a-half, the guard makes two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half with the unbalanced tight end or the weak tight end, and then four-and-a-half with the wing. To the strong side, again, you're, you're splitting those, those three guys, the center, the quarterback, and the fullback. You're splitting that as a one-and-a-half. The guard makes two-and-a-half. The tackle makes three-and-a-half. The extra tackle makes four-and-a-half. The tight end makes five-and-a-half, and the wing makes six-and-a-half. If you line up, like I say, and you put the free safety right in the middle, you are six and a half to the strong side and you're four and a half to the weak side and they're six and a half and four and a half. So you have balanced numbers. If you line up like that, I would not be worried about veer because with the two technique weak, the tackle would have to honor the end. He couldn't just veer down to the, to the will backer because if he did in the end slanted outside, he could tackle the dive. Uh, if they run midline, it's hard to run midline with twos. You can do it, but it's really hard. So if those ends, I don't know how you play. If you slant or you, you play head up. Now, if you're a slant team, I would mix up the slants. I would actually try to maybe, and this again, this would depend on the hit chart and everything. I might want to slant to the motion or whatever the tendency is. If they go FIB and they like to go back to the field. I mean, that's where you have to see the hit chart and that's where you have to make those decisions. But if you got some dudes up front, you can just say, hey, let's play head up and then strike the guard. So if they try to veer block down inside for midline, it's going to be a problem. And then belly's going to be a hard time uh, or down belly, whatever you want to call it, strong is going to be hard because the tight end to the strong side is going to try to get the mic. Your Sam on the line of scrimmage comes down and blows up the guard. Now, they might run it different. I'm, I'm assuming when you say belly strong as in like down. Uh, down, down, pull and kick with the guard. Although there is an extra guy there, so maybe it's running a little different. But you're thick in the C-gap. You're blowing stuff up on the inside. And then you're, you've got DBs and great support positions. And the more I think about it, I might move that corner uh, and stack him on the Sam to the strong side or maybe a little wider so he can play outside in. So if they do try to uh, run really wide, excuse me, they try to run really wide. He's in a position. He's not getting caught inside. So that would be my answer. If you have any questions, you can hit me up on Twitter, and I'll uh, I'll try to uh, clarify it. Maybe I'll, I'll draw it for you and send it to you. And I hope I didn't confuse you with the Sam Spur uh, talk on that side. So holler if you need anything. Okay, this next question comes from Ryan Pearsall, who's the defensive coordinator and DB coach at East Islip. Hope I said that right. I don't know if it's Islip or Islip. New York. His Twitter handle's uh, at Ryan underscore Pearsall. That's P-E-A-R-S-A-L-L-6-4. 
His question is, we are a 425 quarters base and run some bear looks, man free, and fire zones. Normally inside the red zone, we play a lot of man, but we do see condensed sets, bunches, motions, etc. What change-up coverages do you like down in the red zone? Appreciate the help over the past few years. First of all, thank you for the kind words. Um, if you're a quarters-based team, I mean, I guess it depends on what part of the red zone. You know, uh, you know, if teams are going into bunches, are they going into bunches to run or are they going into bunches to throw? If they're going into bunches to run, you know, quarters isn't a bad idea. Playing a box coverage, teaching your matches off of it. Um, I've I've started to switch my philosophy in the red zone. I've you know I've studied a lot of Vic Fangio, which I know you know yeah it's NFL, but you know I've always been an outside leverage quarters guy, and seeing some of that stuff where they're actually playing outside leverage of three as well as two to funnel everything back into the backside safety and backers, and then playing zone on the backside of three by one where. Because it's the red zone and there's not a lot of space, you play top down. And what happens is that that Will Backer, he can, you know, he can play the inside release of the X. He can play crossers. He, he you kind of zone that guy up as a true zone. And yeah, he has to leverage the back, but you funnel the stuff on the edges into that backer and that that safety that's poaching three. I really like some of that stuff. Now, obviously, in the run game. And I know you're saying like bunches and things like that. You have to be gap sound because five yards down there is like 20 in the open field. So I think a lot of the box stuff has a uh, has a purpose or a uh, merit down there rather. Uh, and you can zone it up. And, and for those of you who don't know, box would be if you're in a four two five. So your strong safety slash nickel plays the first uh, low and outside. Your corner plays the first high and outside. Your overhang defender plays the first low and inside, and your safety plays the first high and inside. Uh, you you know you want to, depending on where they are in the red zone, you may want to cheat down from like ten yards, maybe seven or eight, and latch on those routes quicker. A lot of quarters beaters aren't great in the red zone. Like what what do teams do? They run post dig. Well, you can throw a post dig down in the red zone, but it's got to be on a line. And I think some of the issues that you can have in quarters in the open field don't really show up. I think that's why a lot of teams do it. You know, even teams that aren't huge quarter teams, you see some of the top college teams, you know, they they go down there and they they play it. They're able to do so because those those quarters beaters are they're they're minimized down there. So that would be where I would look first. Uh the other thing that I really like a lot of, which maybe isn't exactly your um what you're you're looking for, but you know, going with the Fangio stuff on pass downs. One of the things that I liked was they have something called one Y special, and I've talked about it briefly in periods. I've done some stuff for some teams presenting this information, so uh, I've I've kind of not talked about it a ton. But now that some of the stuff's out there, I, you know, it's whatever I can talk about it, but. Playing a concept where if you're playing man and you're playing cover one, instead of either either just putting that guy in the middle of the field or making a red call like I know Bam and Georgia did where they would have him ran at the goal line, this may not help with some of the motion things. That's where like quarters will be good. But 
instead of just having a guy stand there, double their best guy and let the rat overplay away from it. I think one of the problems when you play cover one in the red zone, and we're just talking, I'm talking, you know, rushing four, you have a middle field safety that's hanging in the middle. You have a rat who's hanging in the middle. And teams can go play outside more and try to get one-on-ones. And I think by playing this one-why special concept, you almost play middle of the field like split safety in the sense that the deep safety is going to go double someone. So he's going to pick a side, you know, unless it's a slot that's coming inside. He's going to one side. And then you're down safety. Or I'm sorry, you're, you're down backer. You're down hole player. He's going to work away from him so you get the you get the effect and and again teams are going to read it as one high so they may try their one high beaters but those guys are actually going to kind of split and you can dedicate them to one side so you know if, if it's three by one you can tell your rat okay you instead of cutting to the back or whatever you cut to the bunch the deep safety is going to cut to the x and so they can overplay again keeping outside leverage. You can overplay the outside stuff and funnel it into that guy who isn't just sitting in the middle. He is dedicated to your side. If you're on the backside of three by one, that weak safety, he he's doubling one. Well, one runs a fade and you're still getting a little zone vision. And the quarterback looks frontside. Now you can gain both of them. So, I mean, that's where some of that stuff's really good. Also, if you're going to blitz, if, if you're playing somebody that, uh, is good, you can bring a fifth guy and then double him again instead of saying, okay, we're just going to stick a guy in the middle of the field. You can dedicate people to those sides and you can play the one-wise special concept but with a five-man pressure. But honestly, if you're in condensed sets and you're worried, about, you're worried about getting picked, quarters. If you're worried about wasting guys, the one-wise special stuff would be you, something I would look in. And Quarters is always easy to handle with motions and things like that. The bunch rules are pretty uh, simple. I don't know if I would play like some of the Bama bingo stuff where, you know, if one stays one, then you're going to play like a cover two sort. And if one goes behind two, then it turns into a box. I would just play a box versus the bunch stuff and make sure your run fits are good because that's the most important thing. The next question comes from Trevor Martin, defensive coordinator at Fountain Valley High School in Fountain Valley, California. He is the best Twitter account I've ever seen. At Sir Coach a lot with an underscore after every word or letter. His question is longtime listener, first time question asker, aka first time, long time. How do you go about double teaming a receiver that lines up in various positions on the field, including and specifically as an inline tight end? And he puts one double jersey number in parentheses. What structure, strategies, alignments, etc., do you employ? Thank you for your knowledge, insights, humor, and all you do for the coaching community. First of all, Trevor, thank you so much. Appreciate the kind words. Love hearing from first-time, long-time guys that have been around for a while. So here's kind of the formula I've used in the past, and I suggest. If you're playing a team that is running the ball in first and second down and you have to double someone, I like to play too deep to that side and quarters away, depending on what the receiver does. Now, an inline tight end would maybe change the math there. The thought about having the too deep coverage is you get a guy over the roof, over top of everything. So 
you can have somebody breaking down on throws. One double jersey number for me was a third down call or obvious passing situation uh, call that we broke out. If we're talking specifically about that, how we did it was, you know, we didn't really care about the run fits as much because, again, it's an it's an obvious passing situation call. So in terms of the structure, didn't really care about the run fits as long as everybody had a gap. And if they did hand off the ball, we wouldn't be, you know, uh, down a gap or something. And, and in that situation, you know, especially if we were having to double and it was going to remove safeties from the fits, that's where you kind of get the uh, front involved to try to knock runs out or twist or stun or do some things. But as far as how we doubled people, it, all depended on the routes that the offense ran depending on where the receiver was lined up. So for example, if the receiver you're trying to double is an inline tight end and he's running a lot of corner routes, you know, you could play the short defender man inside and then uh, the deep defender outside for the bracket. So the, the routes coming to him, you know, it, it's, it just goes along with that sort of thing. You know, if that guy's running a lot of posts, maybe you flip that because you want the safety. You basically want to put the deep safety that you're bracketing. You want to put him where he's going to be if he goes deep. So that that's really it. And then everything around that is based off of the structure of the coverage relative to how many safeties are deep. So if you're playing one double jersey number, you're going to have someone in the middle of the field. So you want to be able to to play your underneath defenders related to that. So if you have the corner away from the double, he's not getting any help. And the middle of field safety is far away and he's outside the divider. You want to play inside. You know, if you're going to play man in the slot, you got to be careful because you may have helped deep. But because it's not cover one, we have a rat or somebody just even if they're not you know cutting crossers, somebody's standing in the middle. So you have to coach up your guys. Hey, look. You know, if, if you're going to play outside leverage in the slot, say you're doubling away from the side of the slot, if it's 11 personnel or, you know, even if it's if it's 10. Look, if you get a quick inside throw, you got to undercut that or whatever because you don't have any help immediately inside. So that kind of becomes a factor. But again, you know, this is an obvious passing situation call. I'm not I'm not running that on third and four where you're going to get quick breaking routes and the ball's going to come out fast. So, you know, you're okay with catching and tackling a slant if it's third and nine and, you know, you're catching it at seven yards or rather tackling at seven yards. I mean, that's where, you know, but, but again, if, if you're forcing them to throw quick routes on long yardage downs away from the best guy that you're trying to double, then you win. Now, if you're going to play like double bracket, so uh, I believe Don Brown had a coverage like this. This is something that's been littered through history where you're basically playing one double jersey number to both sides, so to speak. So you're bracketing a receiver on both sides. Now you're going to want to play almost like two-man because, well, and it, it, I say that, but also if, you know, if you're, it, it depends on what's going on. If you're, uh, if you're playing man on the slot on the inside and you're doubling the outside receiver with a deep safety, you know, that, that safety is almost going to split one and two because he doesn't want to get too wide because you're going to open up the middle of the field. 
And if you have to do something like that, if you're trying to double an outside guy, that's where one double jersey is great because if that safety gets too wide, you're not you know, undressing the slot where they can just run a skinny post and there's no one in the middle of the field. You get a middle field player. But if you're going to play too high where you're doubling outside guy, you know, that, uh, that inside defender low probably needs to play inside because, because your deep safety's out of there. He can't help you. And if they send one short and they try to run something, now the safety is playing outside leverage. You know, let's say the outside receiver does a mandatory outside release and gets really wide and the safety feels, okay, they're not throwing him the ball. So now I'm going to help back with the uh, the next receiver. That safety is going to be uh, uh, outside leverage of number two. And so you want to play inside. You don't want to be outside and then the safety's outside and they just throw right down the middle. Again, unless you're playing one double jersey number. So, but, so kind of reviewing, it's all based on how many safeties you got in the middle of the field. Your leverage underneath will be based on that. And then what kind of brackets depend on what they do. And if it's a situation like, you know, you're saying an inline tight end, I think you can maybe do some different things where you say, okay, you know, this tight end's so good. We need to double on first and second down, but he runs a lot of corner routes, but for the run fits, you know, maybe you want to put the low guy outside. So he's in a position to leverage the ball, especially if it's like a DB. So, I mean, those are some those are some considerations, but it all depends on what they do. I can't really say, oh, well, if he's the number two, you want to put the low guy inside and the deep guy outside. You know, if he, again, if he's running a bunch of posts, you want to flip that. So, so what I like to do is I like to make a hit charts by formation when you think you're going to use the coverage. So, like, third and seven plus or, you know, maybe maybe you're playing the team on third medium. They like to throw the ball deeper than the sticks, like to push the ball down the field, and then, you know, you could do it. Or second and long after a run, you know, you stuff them on the run. They're going to throw the ball. What I like to do is make a hit chart. Let's say it's, uh, you know, two by two, and they're moving the guy around. Okay, if he's the slot to the field, what does he run? If he's the slot to the boundary, what does he run? If he's wide, if he's, you know, into the into the boundary, and if they play left and right, okay, if he's to the left side, you know, what are they going to do depending on where he is? You choose your leverages based on that is really what it comes down to. So there's no formula, so to speak. So I hope that helps. Um, you know, let me know if there's something that, uh, if you have any more questions or if you have a hit chart, you know, you can always attach it to when I announce the show on that tweet, you can, you can attach it to that or, you know, shoot me a DM or whatever with the hit chart and I can maybe help you make some of those decisions to give you a more concrete answer. I hope that was a, good enough though to, to help out to uh at least get your uh your your juices flowing to to make a decision on some of that stuff the next question comes from jason kazar who's the video coach at manhattan high school in manhattan kansas his twitter handles at the coach pad that's right the owner of coach pad submitted a question my friend jason great dude he asks what are some processes by coach in the box between series after a series occurs, either good or bad, and early in the game or later in the game, are there any sound processes coaches go through before the next series? What are some of the things to talk about, to adjust, etc.? The coaching staff, making sure they're ready to go. Okay, so great question. 
I believe this starts off with it depends on if the play caller is in the booth or on the ground. So I was a field guy when I called plays. I believe I did one game in the booth in 2009 when I was at Gilroy, and it was great, but we were playing a team that wasn't very good. And then the next week we played a team that was good, and I did not have a good time, and I came down at half. It was, it was terrible. But what we ended up doing was we went to a defense where I was calling a lot of stuff on the field, so I had to be on the field. But let's start with the booth coach first. And again, I, I know the, the least amount about this, but this is just from conversations I've had over the years. So the biggest thing with the booth guy is he's going to be able to review data up there that's not going to be able to tol- you know, be told over the headset because I'm guessing most of the people that are writing down any you know, charts of play calls or what was good, what was bad, et cetera, that's all going to be um, that's all going to be taking place upstairs for the most part. So he's going to maybe be off headset talking to those guys for anything that stands out while the coach on the field, that's basically the coordinator on the ground, so to speak, is corralling the kids and getting them over to the sideline. One thing I know you were focused on the coaches, but the first thing that you need to do, and I, I believe you need to practice this is practice the kids coming off the field and getting grouped up as fast as possible. If you're a platoon team, and this is also depends, you know, whether you're two platoon or one platoon, but I learned the hard way. One of my first jobs, we didn't practice that when we did our play the game scenario where once we, you know, forced a punt, everybody came to one spot. And it's one of the things that drove me nuts the most because your coaches aren't thinking about adjustments and things. They're trying to make sure everybody's there and corralling everybody and counting kids and all that stuff. And you're wasting precious time. Now, I mostly coach the spread offenses. So sometimes I had for good, bad, or indifferent, you know, I only had a minute or two to get things right. So that coach is going to, going back to the booth scenario, he's going to get the data he needs. Now, if he needs to talk to anybody down the field, you know, especially after maybe a big, uh, a big loss, like a, not not a, not a loss after the game, but like a big touchdown or, you know, a big fourth down. You know, they give up a fourth down and the team scores, and you know, or you go down to two or three scores, getting a feedback from the coaches on the field, basically a vibe check. Like, is who's hanging their head? Are kids fighting each other? You know, not not physically, but like yapping at each other and et cetera. And then the coordinator is going to be communicating. He's going to be getting the data from upstairs. And then he's going to have to, you know, communicate what he wants to the kids on defense. Now, offense is a whole different deal. You can get the quarterback on the headset. Some places actually don't allow that, which is frankly insane, but whatever. There's alternative ways. Call him on the phone. Uh, but, uh, you know, you need to talk to the coordinator on the field. And I'm using air quotes. To whoever the coaches that you've designated to be on the field to be your voice and you're going to be doing a lot of it's a lot of one-way communication telling them what you want. Now, in my situation when I was on the field, it kind of went in uh, phases. So the first thing and the guys, you know, you work together for a few years, you know, when I was at Sarah, I was there for 5 years and we had a really great relationship and it was very streamlined. And 
basically they knew the first wave as soon as we came off the field only to communicate very, very high-level or high-priority information, very important stuff. The little coaching points like, if oh, you know, make sure you do this and, you know, make sure you check the stance of the right guard. I think he's giving away. Stuff like that would wait to the second wave, and I'll get to what I'm saying or what that means in a second. I only wanted big things communicated like, you know, you're playing a wing T team and you're getting trapped with three techniques flying up the field. Now, a lot of that coaching will happen between plays. You're playing a spread team, maybe not so much, but you're communicating like, hey, you're getting reached, you're killing us. Or if it's a big thing, you know, we just gave up a 90-yard touchdown because it was zone read and our end, you know, froze and he was supposed to chase the dive. You know, I may, that may be something like, make sure he's chasing the dive or something like very, very, very important. That'll be in the first wave. Then I want to talk to the players directly because I have my own thoughts. So I get my wave, my first wave of thoughts. I'm going to the iPad. I'm starting to show plays. I, I pretty much know, and a lot of experience had a pretty good eye. I knew what I wanted to say most of the times. If I didn't, I would ask, which happened a lot too, because especially if you're playing phone booth offenses, you know, it's like the Tasmanian devil in there. You just see like a scrum and then somebody shoots out the other end. It's like days of thunder clearing the smoke. It's a dated ass reference right there. It shows you how old I am. But, uh, you know, I'll say, hey, what happened? And then somebody will tell me and then I'll address that big play that happened. You know, but if it's a, you know, we, we got a three and out or, you know, first play fumble, there's not much to say. Uh, but if it's if there wasn't something catastrophic happening, usually I'll go first and I'll talk to the players. The assistants will write down their notes. And... um they'll start coming in the headset after I start talking or after I'm finished talking rather. Now, some scenarios, if I was on a staff or we were having a lot of problems in a game and everybody started talking at once, I would take my headset off and people would try to get me to put it back on. And I'm, unless it's the head coach telling me to put it back on, I was not putting my headset back on. So what actually helped during that was, you know, our, uh, our D line guy was uh, brilliant. Nick Walsh, son of Patrick Walsh, the Eagle, he would call down and we would have like a secondary D line guy down there, or maybe even a, a really responsible player. They would jump on the headset and he would give straight communication to that player. You know, especially if they weren't, you know, I, I, I tend to talk to the back end guys more because that's what I did. And that's usually where the problems were. So maybe somebody like that would jump on the headset and say, Hey, tell, you know, so-and-so to do this or, hey, you give them their almost their own set of instructions. But that would only be with the front end. That would only be sometimes. If there was a big problem, the eagle would jump on and be like, I need to talk to so-and-so. And I would grab them and have them talk upstairs while I talk to the kids. And so at that point, the coaches are jotting, have jotted down notes or they're jotting down notes. And basically, they're listening to what I'm saying to the kids and basically checking out, all right, he mentioned that. Okay, he mentioned that. He mentioned that. Whatever. If there's not a huge problem, I'll show a few plays and I'm watching the plays for the first time and I'm going through, you know, speed watching them and trying to pick out anything that's like really, really dire or really sticking out. And then once that happens, I kind of stop and I'll go anything upstairs. And then that's when I'll get the bits. Hey, make sure you tell the, this corner, you know, he's bailing too early or, hey, the safety, uh, he's backing up. His eyes aren't in the right place. The, you know, stuff that's not fixing catastrophes, you then relay that information. Then after that, I will get a report. 
on, hey, just so you know, you know, and then, and then it's random. So I usually like to have somebody upstairs that's making a hit chart of what's happening, especially in the first quarter and first half. So, hey, hey, Vass, um, every time they're going FIB, they're running to the field. Um, you know, hey, every time they're trading the tight end, they're running away from the tight end, like big stuff like that. Or, hey, I noticed that, you know, they're running all their plays to the field, no matter what formation, everything's going to the field or everything. You know, we used to bring a lot of field pressure. So it'd be like Vass, they're going to the boundary. Well, are they going to the tight end that just happens to be the boundary? No, they're putting the tight end in the field. They're running to the boundary. They're putting the tight end to the boundary. They're running to the tight end. You know, that happened in a game, and it was – they're summarizing the the hit chart. And then one thing that I'll do, especially early in the game, is I do a reminders thing I, for the kids. I do tip, tells, and reminders. Tips, tells, and reminders, rather. And in the reminder section, I would put for CV. And especially if there was a game we were shifting and stemming and moving a lot. I say this a lot of the times, and I am not immune to it. Coaches, I've noticed in high school – that are shifting and motioning and doing stuff like that. As the game wears on, they, sometimes they forget to do it. And maybe it's because they don't have a lot of people reminding them. You know, I, I would tell Lyndon McGee, who's my all-time uh, booth guy, shout out to Lyndon. You know, I, he'd be like, Vass, uh, you know, remember to stem. Whatever I had told myself before the gamer, you know, if I if I was playing a team that it required more of a base package and we got hit for a couple plays, big plays, and I started trying to blitz or slam my way out of trouble, you know, I'd have those reminders, and I knew myself well enough where I would write like pregame reminders to myself, and then would be like, "Hey, make sure you stay patient. Don't don't chase them. Let the game come to you." So I would have reminders for myself that I, because I'm ADHD, I'd forget to look at. Plus, you know, it's bad enough being ADHD, but now you're in the heat of battle. So I would often tell them to send reminders to me or give me reminders for play calling and and, and such. Or then there would be ideas. Hey. I noticed on play four, you ran uh, a stunt and it, it got in the backfield, you know, reminder, call that again. Or, you know, sometimes if I, if I laid out a, a, a series based plan, all right, first series, we're going to go odd. Second series, we're going to even like, Hey man, uh, I know you're switching it up, but that the series you got an odd, you really confused him or, Hey, they figured out the odd stuff. Maybe you should go to the even or, or Hey, maybe that, remember that uh, curveball you wanted to throw out of now's the time to unleash it. So you're getting those reminders and then you get the secondary stuff like, hey, just so you know, you know, every time you run lightning, I'm, and I'm just using examples of blitzes, every time you run lightning, it's been a TFL, you know, you may want to go back to that or, hey, I noticed on the third uh, third down when you ran double mug front, um, you know, we dropped and everybody, uh, you know, we only brought four, but I noticed the back didn't honor the A gap on one of the blitzers and he looked outside because we brought a lot of nickel pressure. Hey, maybe next series, write a note to yourself, bring one of those backers, bring both of them or whatever, anything they saw. But it was, it was very much a, the key, the key to sideline communications is everybody has a role. You, you tell them exactly what you want. And most importantly to me is you tell them the order that you want it in. Again, I don't need to know that they're getting 2.4 yards per carry uh, as soon as the kids are coming off the field. Right. It, I, I need to know, like, what is what is like DEFCON one? What is really the problem? And then and that's and then you feel it out. Uh, part of having good in between series communication, and it's really in between plays, is people have the green light to talk. So for me, Lyndon was my personnel guy. He knew every play. All right. Balls on a hash because we brought a lot of field and boundary pressure. So I'd always want to know. I didn't need to know if it was on the left hash. I didn't need to know if it was on the right hash. 
I didn't even need to know if it was not completely on the hash. If the ball was outside the upright of the goalpost, it was on a hash to me, unless it was some sort of special game plan. And so he'd go, hey, it's first and 10 on the 22-yard line, ball's on a hash. I didn't, again, I don't need to know left and right, you know, ball's on a hash. Now, if there was some sort of game plan thing, like when we used to play a team who remain nameless, they like to run their wide plays into the boundary, or I'm sorry, they they like to run their wide plays to their sideline. I might get a, uh, I might get a hey reminder, you know, they're they're on their sideline or whatever. But it was mostly that, and then they would give me the personnel because you wouldn't get the personnel till later. But really, it's it's not so much of the information, of course, is important, but how it's presented, and it's I, I likened it to headline news, right? Like the first sentence is going to be like, this is what happened. The second sentence is going to be maybe as important as the first, but then the third is not. And everything else uh, past that first or second sentence is going to be less and less important to the story. And that's how I wanted to receive information. And my number one rule was I'm the first person that talks to the kids. I didn't need a bunch of, you need to tell them this or you need to tell them that because unless it was like an, oh crap, 75 yard gain, I've been getting all that information in my head as the plays have gone on. Oh, uh, you know, Johnny got trapped again. So I'm knowing as soon as they're coming off the field, I'm yelling out on the field. Hey, Johnny, what, you know, don't get trapped or squeeze down. Obviously, you don't want to say don't get trapped, but hey, make sure you're striking the V of the neck. Make sure you're bending down inside or, or you know, make sure you're, you're taking on the puller with your inside shoulder, outside shoulder, rather. You know, you're giving them coaching phrases, but I've already kind of coached up the 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 stuff along the series. But if we give up a huge play, obviously now that's different. It's a little bit of a different approach. But so yeah, that's really what it is. And then I asked the booth guys if they're talking to each other and it doesn't regard me, put your headset up. I don't need to hear your crosstalk. So a lot of it is mic placement and <laughs> like I'm in a band, mic placement and then um, what you want when you want it and. Coordinators, young guys, I actually mentioned this. I don't know if it was on the last pod with Jerry or on Twitter. Like, establish those guidelines. Use your headsets during practice. You know, practice the game. The coaches need practice too. You know, even if it's a scripted period, practice that element. Practice calling the the down and distance. In fact, script it out so it's less thinking. But you're at least getting that noise and then get that feedback. Don't let the first time you put the headsets on is when, you know, the first game of the year. Practice that. You know, do it, make, even if it's just like a little scrimmage for like, you know, 10, 15 plays, get those game like situations earlier in camp. I mean, it doesn't have to be week one, but practice those earlier. All right. Last question from the day comes from Fabian Bonani. He is from the school of too much Twitter. I hear that. But he didn't leave his Twitter handle, so I think he wants to remain anonymous as to who he is on Twitter, which is fine. He's not a coach. Uh, obviously, if he <laughs> coaches at the school of too much Twitter. He lives in Philly, though. Here's his question. If, you, if your edge or your linebackers can't make a tackle on a speedy quarterback on keepers, what answers do you have from the DB level? This is actually a really good question. So. When you say keepers, I am going to assume you're talking about boot. I'm not assuming that uh, you're talking about zone read. And if I'm assuming incorrectly, I apologize. But I'm going to assume you're talking about bootlegs. If it's something else, uh, hit me up, email me, 
you know, go to the website, coachfast.com. There's a contact page, and I will answer your question if I don't answer it completely here. Okay, so if we're talking about just keepers and your linebackers and your edge players can't tackle a speedy quarterback, first, I'm going to challenge the premise. D linemen and linebackers can't tackle quarterbacks because they take bad angles. Very rarely have I seen a matchup where if the player takes the proper angle, they still can't catch the quarterback. So I think a lot of it is, guys, you know, the DNs that are playing the boot, they have the cutback to counter the boot, the reverse. So they have to squeeze down for the cutback and the counter first. So that's what gets them out of position. You know, if you're playing a team and they're running boot, now you open up a huge cutback lane, but you could literally tell the defensive end, hey, if you on runaway, just run up field and you'll be standing where the quarterback's going to be. And then it's about angles and leverage. Now, if you're playing, you know, a split safety defense or something where you're not blitzing and that end has to play the cutback and the counter first, then that's a different story. I mean, if we know the boot's coming, one thing that you could do is you could put it, if you're, if you're a uh, even front team, you should put the three technique to the side they're going to boot. That way the end doesn't have to squeeze down. You know, if you've got a G or a one or a two I or whatever you want to call it inside and you have to close that B gap from the back door, now that's going to be really hard. But that's, you know, the first thing is if you know the boot's coming, you have some sort of blitz on or you bring a blitzer underneath and then you get up field, you can usually take that away. Now, let's talk about the DBs. You know, you specifically asked about the defensive backs. Here's the thing. We're talking about normal zone coverage. Man coverage as well, no blitzer. So let's just say, you know, low hole, deep middle third player. DBs cannot come off on the quarterback. It's usually a cardinal sin. Unless you're dropping eight, but usually a DB is going to be on the edge of the formation. And as soon as you commit, I mean, what's what's a, a keeper play, right? You're, you're going to high low in the flat, have an over route behind it, and then some sort of third layer or some sort of comeback angle outside or some sort of route. So as soon as you have a DB who's a flat player come up, you're already in trouble. Even in drop eight, you're probably going to unwind your defense. The best way to get a DB on the boot, though, is to either by formation or by the, 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 you know, where they're going, say they like to boot to the field, you know, you blitz, you blitz to the side. They're going to boot. You slant to the play. And now you can tell the DB, Hey, look, you can go get the bootleg right now because, you know, if you're slanting your line, and this would be a lot of talking without being able to see it. But if you're in an even front or maybe even an odd front and you're slanting to where they're running the ball, the edge blitzer doesn't have the cutback because you're slanting the line that backers are going to play behind the slant. So if you're slanting to the right, the backers have to fit to the left and vice versa. So one of my favorite things to do, and this goes back to the old, you know, TCU stuff is we used to play 
because you know, teams either like to boot to the field or they like to boot to the quarterback's arm strength. Sometimes it'd be both. So let's say we're playing a, a heavy boot team. If the ball's on the defensive right hash and they're a right-handed quarterback, I'm going to want to set the front to the field or the left, slant to the boundary to make the ball cut back, have an edge blitzer tee off on a contain rush path, and then the backer can play the cutback. So if the end is slanting inside, he plays the gap between the DN that's slanting inside and the edge blitzer. So if the ball loops all the way back or winds all the way back, he can make the play. And you're also with the slant, you're forcing it to cut back. You're, you're pushing the ball where you want it to go. And then from there, you just tell the safety, you know, we used to tell him two yards outside the deepest shoulder, the deepest back. And what I mean by that is, you know, if it's boot, let's let's back up a step. So if it's run, the running back is the deeper player, right? Let's say it's under center, pistol, whatever. But as soon as that back comes and clears the quarterback, the quarterback is now the deepest back, and you climb to his upfield shoulder, and you just work that, you know, you work that concept. Now, I will say in the age of RPOs and all those things, you know, if you're in the NFL and you're getting under center downhill run and boot, it's still good. You know, but a lot of younger quarterbacks are really, really good at picking up edge pressure. Now, I was the king of edge pressure for years. And, you know, towards the end of my time at Clovis, and especially now when I'm building pressure plans for people, unless it's a certain type of offense, we're talking a pro-style offense. And I mean pro-style, I mean like I-formation, old-style pro-style. You know, I'm edge blitzing, but if it's gun spread, I'm not a huge fan of the edge blitzes to the point where some of my old edge pressures that I put in, I've I've changed them to bounce heads with the backer, meaning let's say we're playing, you know, field side nickel pressure, three deep fire zone in the field, just a simple one-man pressure. If I'm getting a 10 personnel picture, I'm going to switch that to the backer, hat tip to Ron Roberts, because he used to do this. And then the backer would, uh, pop his feet in place and then he would be the edge blitzer he'd loop outside because quarterbacks you know have gotten so good at spying those those nickel blitzes and getting the ball out fast and taking advantage of that especially when they're in the gun and they can see everything you know it's different when you're in your center so uh you know edge pressure and and, and that's where play calling comes in right when do they like to boot do they have a boot down do they like to boot you know, if they are they a team that they like to boot on second and short? And is the quarterback really looking to run the football? I mean, very few times is that a designed run. A lot of the times you're going to try to get it to the fullback or the, the slicer coming back across. You know, it also depends on, and I don't want to get too, too involved on this, but to make some a question that's kind of general into something really specific, but Who's the guy going out to the flat? Is it a fullback that's starting to go one way and then looping around? Is it a slider coming back to the other side? Um, is it a tight end sneaking across? Like, you know, it's it can be anything. So that also plays a factor, but that's the best way to do it. And I really think, I mean, I'm I probably will probably end up uh, record, hitting the publish on this and I'll think of something else, but really. The only time the DB should be taking boots is if they're blitzing. Like, I can't think of another time where you really want your guy to come out of coverage. 
Uh, and again, this is unless you're playing like a, a one robber concept where you're playing dime and it's cover one and your your rat is a uh, is a safety and he's coming down and it's like there's a um, there's a call. It's, it's a couple of different defenses called one mouse, and one mouse means the safety is going to be the rat, and then you know put him on the boot if it, you know if you're playing you know Michael Vick in his prime and he's really a run threat, then that's a little different, but. Usually DBs are not going to take the boot unless they're pressuring. And the best way to do that is to pressure into the boot. So that's my answer there. And I hope I answered your question. Thank you for joining me for the first episode of the Q&A format of the show for this year. We'll roll this until the holidays, until people stop playing and or asking questions. Speaking of which, if you want to ask a question for next week's show, if you got an opponent on the horizon, you want some insight, I'll be joined by a guest next week. You can submit a question, go to at Coach Vass on Twitter. The link tree is in the bio, or you can just go to linktree.com slash Coach Vass. Also, there's the link to the Patreon. If you want in-game help, live webinars, take the silver tier. If you want to watch some of the best offenses and defenses, all 22 in college, 24 to 72 hours after the games are played in the weekends get the orange package if you want both there's golden hire so check that out also for the saturday to thursday game planning course go to underdogfantasy.com use code vast minimum ten dollar deposit they'll match your deposit up to hundred dollars you can also check out my other courses tight front third down packages defending the wing tee it's all there in the link tree or go to my website at coach vast can also pick up some make defense grading and swag on the website if you want a qb tears mug a shirt to rep the pod you know it's going to start getting cold there's a bunch of sweatshirts hats etc so check that out also as i'm recording this in the wee hours of the morning rest in peace jimmy buffett what a legend 76 years of a full life I'm thinking about you and have a cheeseburger and a margarita tomorrow for lunch And last but not least, never forget the quarterback can't see with tears in their eyes.